afternoon and welcome to this very special show in which we plan to gaze into a future that is as yet unseen. I'm your host Mark Anthony. Uh, joining us shortly will be my co-host and co-founder of the Construction Collective, Peter Haddock. Uh, far more importantly, we have not one but two very special guests coming on the show in just a second. But before that, let me get, give you just a little bit of context. In case you haven't noticed, the construction equipment sector is in the midst of a revolution. And it's a revolution that's being driven by two key factors, technology and the need to find a replacement for the fossil fuels upon which the industry has long depended. If those factors sound familiar, it's because those are precisely the same circumstances that allowed Tesla to stake a claim in the automotive sector. By offering an alternative to petrol and diesel and by mixing in some groundbreaking technology and by delivering it in a package that is as beautiful as it is powerful, Tesla has, as the expression goes, eaten the lunch of the established car market. So could the same thing happen in the field of construction equipment? Could an industry newscomer, uh, newcomer rather, carve itself a slice of the global construction equipment sector? Could we even see a new and previously unseen type of construction machine? Those are just some of the machine, uh, some of the questions that we have in store for today's guest. But first of all, let me get my uh, co-host on the show. Uh, Peter Haddock, as you're all aware, spends his every waking hour and probably some of his sleeping hours as well, talking about, writing about and generally thinking about construction technology. Good uh, afternoon, Peter. How are you, Mark? And you say that because this morning I was on a site actually doing that thing, interviewing an operator, brand new machine, completely kitted out, 3D machine controlled to the max, GPS flying around, telling me that he's actually spending three hours less finding certain areas, key points of a project um, to dig. So that's technology in action. That was this morning, Mark. That's why I'm pumped for today. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought when we, we when we originally arranged this, I actually thought this is is right up your alley. So um, we have got our guests waiting in the in the uh, green room, and we've kept them waiting long enough. So let's get them on the show. Uh, good afternoon to you, Alan, and good afternoon good afternoon to you, Carl Gustav. Um, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, let's start with you, Alan. Good afternoon. So I'm Alan Berger. I most recently was the uh, Chief Technology Officer at CNH Industrial. Before that, uh, Senior Vice President of Technology for Volvo Construction Equipment. So about 25 years uh, in the uh, construction equipment industry, a little bit more in the overall industry. Uh, currently uh, advising uh, a series of companies in the space. So really happy to be here today. Fantastic, and thank you for joining us. And Carl Gustav, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, good morning, good afternoon, and uh, thank you, Mark, for having us on the show. Looking forward, forward to this discussion with you and Peter, really. Uh, I'm Carl Gustav Aronson of Swedish origin. I've been also, in, I mean, similar to Alan in the industry for about 25 years. I was most recently the head of the construction equipment business for CNH Industrial, managing the case and the Holland brands. And I also work for um, two other large companies. I've been with Volvo and I work with CargoTech, and uh, that's basically me. So I'm happy to, to be here with you guys and looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you both for joining us. And we will come back to that CNH connection because one of the most technologically advanced machines that I've seen recently was the um, the project Tetra Biofuel 
concept machine that was shown at the last Bauman. We will come back to that. I've, I've already mentioned Tesla, um, and, and I don't think there's any question that Tesla has disrupted the, the automotive sector. But when you scratch the surface, really and truly, a Tesla is still just a car. It's only a variation on a theme. Are you anticipating much the same in, in the construction equipment world? Well, maybe I'll, I'll start there. I think that when you look at putting electric uh, technology into the machines, I mean, there's, there's multiple ways to do this. And, and a lot of what you're seeing in the market right now is more or less take the diesel engine out, put an electric motor in some batteries, and you have the same machine. And it's very much, you know, you can say nothing new. But I think if you're going to really get the benefits, the true system benefits you can get by electrifying and actually drive efficiency to a new level, you're going to need to re-architect the machines. Now, does that mean we end up with a totally different machine type? Maybe not. Uh, but would, should they look differently and operate different? I think so. And so with that, you know, we've seen obviously people doing what you're doing there, what you said there, squeeze the electric motor into the standard excavator. But I've just recently seen a skid steer, which was literally built from the battery pack up. You know, so now we're talking about that product being, it's a Caveco uh, skid steer, electric, fully electric skid steer. That, what was interesting about that, and I want to hear uh, a little bit about your thoughts on this as well, is they they made that into a kit of a machine so basically you, it's you can pack it up ship it over and bolt it all together based around the battery and the technology so that then if something goes wrong and like we do know in this industry you know a lot of machines obviously working in harsh environments get bashed around a bit so things get broken get damaged get bumped around but do you think that there's you know a, a case in point where we can, I guess, modularize some of the, the assets so that when we do have those occasions, it's not a, a huge thing to say, just take the motor out, take the battery out, uh, put another boom on, you know, in, in that context. What are your thoughts on, on that sort of element as well? I, I think it's one possible uh, step in that evolution. Certainly being electric, it is easier. There's fewer shafts, uh, hoses, things that are, are much, much harder to route through the machine. And, and part of why, why I even focus on this is that the entire structure of the machines today, particularly ones with mechanical drive lines, uh, are really wrapped around the constraints that the diesel engine and the need to get that power through shafts to the, uh, to the ground and, uh, bring. So really, you'd be able to look at that and do different things. So one thing could be, yes, modular that it allows reconfiguration or easier repair. But uh, I think there's other possibilities as well. I think there's uh, other, the other element that I've discovered recently with a company called Rise Robotics is actually the use of hydraulics to actually put back the energy into uh, the machine just like we would do in the, in the retarder as, as such or you know, with the Tesla braking system, putting things back in. So there's not just um, what we call the traditional methods of that, but there's also uh, changes and things like that to hydraulics that can come into play like that, isn't it? That's a sophisticated way of putting energy back in or pumping more through um, for what, what I'd call high hydraulic power requirements, for example. Yeah, and, and 
And I think uh, it's important to keep in mind that, uh, you know, diesel will be with us for a while and hydraulics will be with us for quite a while. There's quite a bit of innovation going on in the hydraulic space. And you mentioned, mentioned one thing there, but you also see uh, the digital hydraulics uh, that, that Volvo has made some announcements about. The development started when I was there. So uh, many, many, many opportunities still out there. Uh, the difference being that those will be from a pure perspective incremental. Uh, yeah. They're going to have the same kind of machine, but you could certainly bring up the efficiency uh, still substantially from where we are. And I guess that's what's been happening recently. We've seen that move from stage three to stage four to stage five, uh, and that's that incremental change each time we go further on. But what we need to talk about now, and I think, you know, why I'm so excited about this is the fact that what are we going to see that's going to stop that one step, two step, three step, four, uh, five, in fact, for stage five. <laughs> and, and what do you think can be the first step to do that? Um, uh, 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 thoughts on that, please, gentlemen. Yeah, maybe I can start and let Carl Gustav jump in here. I, I think this is really the difficult part for an OEM because mm -hmm. they've got, especially the full liners, have a very big portfolio of products. Yeah. Uh, and there's competitive pressure to keep evolving those and make those incremental steps like you typically see. And as you as you well know, you know, five, 10 percent improvement in whatever the important parameter is sort of what you expect every few years on the on the volume product. To step back and say, I'm going to build this machine totally differently on a new technology means a pretty big investment in that machine alone. So yeah. you're now competing with, with the, the need to spend money on other things. And this is why we say there's some room for, for a disruptor who doesn't have that history, yeah. that doesn't have that legacy to maintain yeah. and uh, can step in. But of course, they need to be pretty well funded. It's still a big job. Yeah, I mean, maybe to add, just uh, just adding, Peter, I mean, if it's okay. I mean, uh, to, to to play on that, and what you said, I, th I think, I mean, the OEMs. I mean, we've been we've been part of the industry for a long time, and you've seen that there's been a lot of money spent on, as I said, stage three, four, and five. I mean, of, of the of the R and D budget. So that all has always taken a lot of time. Where you know you that the main goal has been to to meet the regulations. I think now to what Alan said before, now it's the time for a new guy or new new disruptor to come in and say, I start from you know with a blank sheet of paper and I can do this you know perfect. Maybe uh, to discuss in, in terms of product segments and product areas. Where where do we start now with electrification, for example? That's one one of you. And we will discuss obviously the the Tetra thing a bit later on maybe, but. Um, you see clearly, I mean, that where it started now in the industry is on, on the small equipment. You mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Skidster, Peter, where it's coming. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, and it's for sure we've seen, I mean, companies like, like Volvo, Wack and Oison doing it on the, on the mini excavators. This space, I think we believe is, let's say, it's a, it's a thorough safer to start with. The question will come, how large can we drive the, 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 the electrification when it comes as electrification as propulsion? Can we handle this for, for larger equipment like excavators about 20 tons? Yeah. And, that, yep. and that's, that's the scene. But clearly, if you're new one, again here, start, start from scratch and say, you know, mid-sized excavators, let's build a new platform uh, foundation. It would be very interesting to see what's coming. 
Yeah, and I think what's interesting is we have seen that money is going to come into this industry. Again, you know, another company that's doing a lot of work now uh, in this market, Machine Max, on telemetry systems uh, that, you know, pulling data off machines. You know, they're, they're funded by Shell and the Boston Hedge Fund, for example. You know, yeah. So the money that is that is willing to go into this, this industry and this sector um, – what do you think it will take, though? Do you think that we're going to have to break out and uh, and away from the traditional OEMs and, you know, have that kind of funding structure uh, from private equity and things like that to, to, to bring in uh, talent and uh, from not just, and this is where I must stress, it's not just the construction industry sector, but the wider manufacturing, aerospace, et cetera, uh, technologies, because I, I think on w within the construction sector, its own, we're not going to have that driver coming through. And at the moment, gentlemen, everything that people are making—I uh, mean, we had an announcement from JCB in their press conference—is um, sold. Yeah. So, so is there is there really a you know a let's go and invest this big chunk of money when actually you know we're we're, we're hiring people left right and centre to build stuff that that is is already sold now? I think I can start. I mean, I mean to come back to your point, Pete. It's it's a very very interesting point, and I believe obviously there is this is I mean a, a highly a high capital industry, capital goods and construction machinery. So there is money around. But I think if we can take the, the private equity angle first, we have seen, I think, most recently acquisitions being made of, of you know, in, in within telematics has been, I mean, some, some sales taking place recently to mention some companies where, you know, you have actually private equity capital coming in and funding this. I think in parallel, and, and Alan can obviously comment that too, it, it is to see the OEMs are now saying within the R&D space, what is to be our core competence? You know, what do we what do we do in-house? Okay, what are we going to be the specialist of electrification or on hydraulics or on, on, on the driveline? And that we focus on. And then most likely, if we go back on telemetry and say, this is something we rather work with a, a very solid partner, then they might outsource that given their size and say, this is this is not our focus. And that, they, they can either be fund them from their own capital or have private equities coming in. So you, you clearly see these movements in the industry very much saying, this is my aerospace. Maybe you want to add on there, Alan, from your point as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe just uh, another couple of perspectives. One, I, I think the the OEMs know that this change is coming. I, certainly, you take uh, certain parts of the world, small you know cities in Europe where you can't bring diesel product in. Uh, other places where there's certainly pressure, both from either the government and potential regulation or customers who really, really want to change their image uh, and their impact. So I think OEMs are pretty clear that something has to happen. So I don't think from a development perspective, they're going to sit back and take, say, the short-term cycle situation, which is very good for them, and say, great, we don't need to do anything. I think they are moving. And then relative to the outsiders, and they do have some advantages. The supply base, yep. you know, they, they understand that they have relationships and the supply base is also moving towards uh, providing the componentry they need to, to go electric. And they have deep knowledge about the products. And, and that's not to be underestimated. Every product has its difficult and subtle aspects 
and having that knowledge and knowing how to get it right and, and uh, build something because these are you know production machines people rely on them to make money uh, so they need to be reliable I, I think has a lot of value and yes you can probably hire some of that talent away and things like that so maybe you can mitigate a little bit of that but I, I think the OEMs are sitting on some advantages and an understanding the question is will they move with the speed um, and, and how much money is it really going to take versus the, you know, especially at least in the venture world, relatively lower cost of capital. Uh, and again, as we said, you know, not have, you know, for a disruptor, not have to spend money uh, supporting the current fleet. I think that's right. But I also think that there's a big challenge and we've seen it in the UK market in particular um, with not just building your product, but building uh, the the actual support engineering network behind that product. So you've mentioned there about does it work or not? Well, you know, how can we maintain it? And what I'd love to see about a disruptor and a complete change is, you know, one of the fundamentals uh, of machines, particularly tracked machines, is the expensive nature of repairing, maintaining, and, and keeping the, those tracks uh, moving in an optimum um, sense when actually, you know, you're, you're going into harsh conditions, you've got, um, uh, you know, all of these caked on mud in the summer, frozen in the winter scenarios. So, you know, that dealer network, and, and again, and I know in the UK, we've got HS, mm. a big project. You know, some of the big uh, purchases that people are making uh, for their fleets for 10 years and even 20 years out are based on service support not necessarily based on is this the best excavator, dozer, hauler on the market because of those natures and those elements. So what for me, a disruptor has really got to make the change into how things can be maintained and how we can extend. Again, JCB in the latest press conference said, uh, we're going to extend the servicing hours to a thousand hours, you know, in, in some contexts. You know, but how we can almost eradicate some of those elements and use technology uh, and uh, and the machine itself to do the, the, its own work on itself, for want of a better word, clean, clean its own hydraulic lines, flush its uh, tank because um, it's getting contamination coming through from the fuel and things like that. What you know? What what are your thoughts on that, guys? Because that's really exciting. I I think there's a lot there, and there there there's is there further technical evolution beyond just the technologies we're talking about? And, and I think actually when we talk about a brand new machine, then there are some things to be done and simplification of the product, but also then the distribution network and how it operates. Um, so maybe our cargo stuff, you want to talk a little bit more about that before we. Yeah, sure. I mean, just that I, I don't, I mean, so, so, what what comes into play, Peter? Here is very much. I mean, the, how we can use the the data. I mean, for the dealer, basically. I mean, the back on the telematics thing, right? And 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 we we see a lot of things coming coming now. That how can you? I mean, the data. Let's say or back up. Let's back up. The data is available. It's how you structure it. You know, and how 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 can you work with it? Obviously, as, as a dealer, and we've seen also that the ones that are using this in the most efficient way. We've got the customer, we've got the OEM, we've got the dealer. I mean, those three guys, in, in, and sometimes even the suppliers, depending on what kind of components we're discussing. And if you have an efficient transparency and can actually work preventively with, with, with the data and you'll have maintenance, maintenance, this will go. 
And if you take, I mean, we can take, a, let's take a bulldozer. I mean, the bulldozer market is around 1,500, 2,000 units in Europe, 22,000 worldwide. The tracks, they are, well, I mean, the, the te technology might not, let's say, change significantly. It's still going to be tracked track unit, right? But you can obviously do a lot more. And this is a, some kind of equipment, which is a key equipment. You know, normally I would say 30% of, 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 um, of the service cost is, is, is the price of the equivalent price of the machine. So obviously here you can drive, you know, quick, uh, pro, pro, I mean, proactive, I mean, service by, by having a very efficient data information. This will drive forward. And this is, I think, what the role plays in of taking the technological step, steps being disruptive, but also having the distributor playing along him. Uh, then you have a, a success in the business, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we are seeing now as well, obviously, the uh, I know you you wanted to talk about hydrogen as well, Mark, didn't you? I did indeed. Yeah. Can I just say a very quick apology? We, we've had an electrician here today and he was told there was one socket in the entire house that he wasn't <laughs> to touch. Guess which one he touched. So I, I ducked out, which is exactly why we have a, a co-host. Uh, and thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for, for keeping the boat afloat there, Peter. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned hydrogen. Um, we've, we've seen some sneak previews here of, obviously, JCB have announced that they've got a hydrogen-powered excavator prototype. Uh, but they are now, they've now got an engine division that's devoted to hydrogen, and they're looking beyond just construction equipment. I know Peter and I are up there next week to find out, hopefully, a little bit more. And we also carried the news today that uh, Volvo has now got its own hydrogen um, cell fuel test centre as well. So alongside electrification, there, there does seem to be a very big focus now on hydrogen as well. Are you seeing that, guys? Yeah, I think so. It's part of the electrification equation. You know, the batteries are evolving and they're evolving quite quickly, but it's going to be quite a while before you can carry enough energy both from a weight and volume perspective in batteries to be able to handle larger machines. So hydrogen is one possible path uh, where, where you get a more quickly refillable fuel uh, that uh, could still bring you an electrified machine and, and bring you the same environmental footprint, of course, assuming you have green hydrogen as your, as your source and not some form of dirty hydrogen. And, and there's other interesting things there as well with hydrogen um, not being talked about as much, but also direct combustion of hydrogen in, in an engine, uh, which allows you to use somewhat dirtier hydrogen as well. So, but also gets you a very clean output uh, from the engine. But maybe to add to that one, it's more, it still feels that, you know, there's a lot of, I, I, think, I think the technology is there but there's still a lot of work to do to get, to get the, I mean, the infrastructure on hydrogen, I mean, to get accessibility to it. And I think Peter, he mentioned, you mentioned in the beginning about, about the batteries and, and, you know, how to charge them, the accessibility. And I think what we're seeing now, if it then a little bit step back to how quick will the, our business, our industry be, become electrified to a larger extent. There's some studies saying, you know, by 2030, I mean, eight and a half years away now, we're going to have, let's say, 10 or 15% of, of the volume being now around a million pieces of equipment, if you if you refer to the fiber research uh, uh, numbers, which means that around 150,000 machines will be could be potentially fully electrified. So, and it's obviously looking at what the development is coming now is more the, of the of the smaller machines like mini excavators, like the skid students and so on. And then it will move up the ladder. But I think we will have the same 
demand from the customer base. I mean, that, that as we, I mean, us being, let's say, car customers, for example, if you, I mean, I have for myself, I had my first hybrid car in my life and I like it. I absolutely like it, but I, but I hate, I hate the bloody charging, you know, because <laughs> it, it's work, you know, it's work. And, 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 you know, you want that car to park in your driveway and you want, to, you don't want to plug, you want it, I mean, automated. And I think this yeah. is something, when we get that, I mean, behind us on the electrification, on construction, then okay, wh- how how what's the, what would be the next step step then for high hydrogen? Can that can that be also easy accessible? And we think based, I mean, that, I mean, society needs to play along to for for you know for funding and and, and pushing the infrastructure just to, to take that uh, you know angle yeah. on it. Yeah, very just to build on that. I mean, one of the real concerns here is if you take a, a larger equipment on a larger site, you know, say early uh, site prep job. There's no infrastructure there. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Bring a diesel generator in to charge the machines? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't make any sense. So, so you know, you'll be more efficient just running diesel machines in that case. So, so I think that's a challenge. Um, and you know, and, and hydrogen could have a place there. But to Carl Gustav's point, we, we need the infrastructure and things like that, and cost effectiveness of hydrogen, in spite of uh, some of the very recent excitement you know, is still probably 10 years out. And there's still challenges with the, uh, the volumetric uh, density for, uh, of the energy. You know, hydrogen is kind of a large gas uh, from, a, from a volume perspective. So fitting that onto machine in an efficient way is a massive challenge. Yeah, I see hydrogen. Sorry, Mark. I just see with hydrogen, they've been doing some podcasting and stuff on hydrogen, and it has been working well in what I would call smaller units, where you can actually have cylinder, uh, you know, lighting on on sites, for example. So you, know, you can use a clean gas like hydrogen to have your your lights in your depot. The excess gas heats the actual uh, security guard at night, for example. Um, and, and it utilizes in that way. But equally, what I am seeing is an appetite for people to reassess the infrastructure um, when you're looking at larger projects. So the reassessment of infrastructure, in my mind, is, is actually can we make uh, solar panels pay? Can we bring in uh, localized wind turbines? So can we use then what I would call battery storage hybridization um, to actually take uh, that energy at night time, feed it into to the, the, the excavators, dump trucks that have either got the batteries, and can we even utilise technology to create the hydrogen from excess wind power that we've got? For example, in the UK, you know, we, we are going to be having excess wind power coming in. We've even got uh, people looking at now doing stations that will take the wind turbine Field and just produce hydrogen directly through them, and then pump that into um, the main uh, the mainland. And I think you know it's it's around the sustainable options that we have to deliver the power and the resources to the actual engines. Now, gentlemen, we do have a big big problem in the UK coming up, um, and this might accelerate the movement forward. And that is the fact that red diesel is going to lose its government subsidy support. So that people are going to have to burn white diesel, which is horrendously expensive. Um, and so that might ne- literally push these things on. And I think it is a big change, legislative stroke, cost-based change that's going to get people focused on fuel, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think I think that is a challenge, uh, and it's total balance. So maybe just a couple comments on that. First, uh, I think you, you talk about a lot of different dynamics going on, and, and clearly it's going to take some time for this to sort itself out, which is another challenge for the OEMs because they need to stay relevant in the industry. So they have the challenge of which technologies to invest in and at what rate. And, you know, at the very beginning of this, you, you mentioned even the natural gas uh, wheel loader from from uh, Case. So that's yet another set of technologies. And then, you know, you want to broaden it, synthetic diesels and biodiesels and all these other things that uh, are also possible. Makes for a very, very complex space for the for the existing players. Yeah, and I think those existing players, Mark, you had something from Caterpillar, didn't you, that come through um, just this last week um, about their uh, report on autonomous trucks and stuff. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, Caterpillar have just reported that they've that they've clocked up three billion tons of material moved with autonomous yeah. trucks around the world, which is is an astonishing achievement. And we will come back to that. But just, one of the things that that I think we 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 tend to overlook with electrification, and I guess ultimately we'll, we'll be looking at with hydro, uh, hydrogenization, um, <laughs> if I can put my teeth back in, um, is, is kind of the mindset. I mean, I, I, I know people that, that own electric cars, for example, and the way that they travel now is completely changed. You know, they, they plan their travel around charging points, around, you know, if they're staying away around um, hotels that have fast charging points and, and that kind of thing. I think there is a, a real mindset mindset shift that needs to take place within you know, within the construction equipment user sector as well. You know, as it stands at the moment, yes, diesel is expensive. Yes, it is dirty. But you turn on, you, you turn up, you switch the machine on, and it does exactly what you ask of it. With electric, you've got to <laughs> you've got to plan it. Uh, there's a lot more to it, isn't there? Yeah. Maybe if I if I may, may say a few comments on on the storage piece. I mean, but I think this will play a big role. I mean, when it comes to to electrification and and I mean, we've seen there are companies coming up now when, that are focusing on how to store the, the elect, electricity. I mean, either off grid or on grid. And I mean, we we we've been involved with with some companies, and we I mean, and, and you see them coming. One is, for example, X Electrics from Austria, a company basically that you know they can. They can combine you. You can you can combine this with let's say a standard old school diesel diesel generator, and you say the power. How do we store it? And I think if you picture if you picture future construction site or highway construction, where I mean let's say the major part will be electrified, they can obviously not. And they might be on grid, but I mean the grid only has a certain capacity. And if you want to charge let's say forty articulated haulers at one go, that would probably be a problem. So they have to store the, the store the electricity and maybe charge them at night. So to your point, Mark, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, the logistic planning uh, around, you know, the new fuel being electricity has to be there. And, and uh, this would, I think, but uh, this will also, I mean, this, this, the way the speed is set for these vessels to come up with this product, the, the faster the electrification can go also, just to mention some things, we'll see that it's, it's, it's a challenge. But I think Sorry, I'm in there. Uh, you know, the acceptability of that, you talk about people, you know, for their personal transportation, rearranging their plans and doing that. Uh, you know, if you're running a job site and you need to deliver uh, on a particular schedule, I don't think you're going to be so willing to say, oh, yeah, we'll take a two hour break in the middle of the day just because everything needs to recharge. So I think this is actually a challenge for adoption. And, mm. and also fuel prices, you mentioned, you know, potential 
big increase in fuel prices in, in the UK. At the same time, because of all the things going on in global economics and, and availability of oil, you know, diesel is relatively inexpensive in some parts of the world and will stay that way, which will challenge the economics on, uh, on electrification. One of the points that I'm sorry, Peter. One of the points that I, I wanted to draw out from the uh, the Caterpillar announcement is Caterpillar, as I say, three billion tons moved. And I think it was, it was something like sixty-eight point three million miles that they've travelled without a, a lost time incident, which is is again fantastic news. But one of the, the striking things from from my point of view was they sent a photograph with that, and these are big, rigid dump trucks that you would expect to find in a mine or a quarry around the world, but they all still had cabs. There's nobody in the cab, but they all still had cabs. We've seen the likes of Volvo now producing haulers without cabs, and, and, and that is starting to, to reshape the way that we look at construction equipment. Are, yeah. are we, you know, with the arrival of, you know, the, the ingress of, of autonomous machines, are we going to start seeing completely different styles of machine, do you think? But just to, just to, before you say that, guys, what I thought was really interesting, and in I helped Volvo launch... Uh, their new electric range in the UK with a with, with a sort of webinar. But what uh, they intimated was that their autonomous vehicle uh, hauler was a lot smaller. And it was almost like the concept of nature where you have ants. So you have lots of these things and lots of ants moving. So instead of having that massive hauler, you actually have the, the ants moving. And so if you've got more of these smaller ones that can be recharging or boosting themselves, actually you might even find that the dynamic of a worksite changes completely uh, for the actual products you use when you've got that mil millions of ants moving continuously, almost in a, in a conveyor belt style. Yeah, so so what you see there is uh, a complete rethinking of the job site. And I, and I was at Volvo when, we, when that project was done. And, and it comes from looking at the whole process that, that you're trying to do and saying, well, what, how could I do this most efficiently? Forget the current equipment yep. and how can I do things more efficiently? And, and there's a lot of knowledge out there, many, many years of weaning out ma manufacturing facilities. And one of the things that, you know, all wean people talk about is one piece flow. You know, and this is about trying to get things as continuous as you can. And to do that, you need to get smaller units of production. So this actually leans right towards maybe a fleet of smaller machines. And then it's a whole system coming together. So to do lots of little machines, you need to be autonomous because you're not going to find lots and lots of operators. And if you have a cost problem of one operator on a small machine. And then to do a smaller autonomous machine and keep it very simple, electric's actually easier to do. Uh, and then you have a very... A, highly software controlled machine because you're re-architecting it from the beginning. It's sort of actually where we started at the very beginning of this, uh, of this call. So I think you have that potential and it would make for very different looking equipment, but that's how I think you really get it full optimization rather than take a particular machine and optimize it because it doesn't matter. The machine's only there to deliver, uh, to, to do the work. One of the things that you said there, Alan, which really chimed with me was we need to forget what we do now. Yep. And, and, and I think that's where proper disruptive technology comes into play. That ability to say, 
that's how we've always done it. Put that to one side. Now let's do it a different way. And you know, one of the things that, that struck me, uh, as I say, you know, JCB, they're, they're very into the ele their electrics. They're, they're forging ahead with hydrogen. But we recently covered the fact that they've just just celebrated 75 years. And you look back at the backhoe loader that was invented in 1958 or 1961, I can't actually remember. And then you look at it today. It's cleaner, it's got sleeker lines, it's more comfortable and everything else, but it looks exactly the same. It really hasn't changed at all, and excavators are the same, and dump trucks are the same. For, for somebody to, to really do an Elon Musk, somebody needs to say, okay, well, forget all of that. What are we going to do next? How can we make this better? And the fundamental uh, with that, Mark, before we let the experts in, is for me, we're just moving earth or materials. So it's a fundamental baseline is movement of material. How mm. do we do it? Isn't it? Yeah. Over to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're just waiting. Be good listeners. Um, I, I mean, I, I can make a couple of comments. I mean, and then you go on, Alan. I think, I think back on back on a backhoe example, it's quite interesting what you say, Mark. I mean, this thing has been around for sixty donkeys years, and then, I mean, who was first? I mean, was it uh, was it JCB? Uh, was it Case? Who was it really? But it's around, let's say, fifty eight when it came. It hasn't changed dramatically. I mean, we've seen the let's say variants of it. I mean, if you take the Scandinavian guys, you know what I mean when I speak about, for example, Hudig and those guys. They made it a bit more slick, uh, but it's still the same concept. Uh, so nothing has changed. Um, but back on to, to, to discuss, will we see total new machines? Um, it's a bit hard to predict in a way, because I think there's been a lot of change, I mean, a lot of uh, development when it comes to, let's take attachments. I mean, I mean, the attachment thing has happened a lot. If we take, for instance, um, you know, tilt rotators, they've been around now, what is it, the mid-90s? I think, I mean, this is, again, I think it started in Scandinavia. It was kept for, for quite a while, and then... Depending on, on, on you know on, on the culture in the market, I mean obviously they operate different in, in different countries. It has now slowly moved out to other countries, like you know making it its inroads in, in the US uh, most recently in larger numbers, and then coming out to Europe. So there things are happening. If then reflect a little bit, what have we seen something most recently be being revolutionary? Not really. I mean we we've seen. I mean if we can take case have came up with a product Minotaur, you know the 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 the, the skid steer doser basically, which is now a combination thing. So I, I think you'll see some development still um, built upon on on an existing concept. I think the 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 article from Volvo. I mean being a, I like I like what you said, Peter. The all the thousand ants on the worksite could be a good example where you know this is probably more efficient to build it in this size and this way. That would probably happen. Uh, but if it's going to be a revolutionary new thing, then you need to take Alan's approach and say, forget about what we did. I mean, think new, basically. Yeah, uh, just on that on that point, I mean, you just mentioned attachments, and I, I tend to spend most of my time writing about um, demolition more than construction equipment in, in its purest sense. And, and attachments have really revolutionized um, the demolition business. We, we've now got a situation where an excavator doesn't actually do any digging. It is purely a tool carrier. And with that in mind, you know, if, if, we, if we could start with a, a clean sheet of paper and we were looking to produce a tool carrier that just could carry a multitude, multitude of tools, would we necessarily come back to an excavator as it looks today? Or would, would we go in a completely different direction? 
I think, Alan, you should take that one. Nicely handed Very quick step backwards there. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, one thing actually is, you know, a lot of machines have evolved kind of into tool carriers. A skid steer is fundamentally a tool carrier. Wheel loaders are to some degree, and then there's tool carrier variants of them that uh, some of the manufacturers have done. Excavators are kind of moving that way. So you see that trend that all these products kind of generalize a little bit uh, when you discover they can do other things. Um, I really think I'd come back to that fundamental, if you're going to find something really different, it need, it's going to come from this reevaluation of the processes at the job sites. And I think the, the convergence of that and what the new technologies bring you because they break, and you know, we talked about this a little while ago, it, it eliminates some of the constraints that have been there. Mm-hmm. If you really are going to do things with different technologies or some of the constraints that have been in the industry since the beginning, really, you know, so over a hundred years are gone. And that should enable some new things to happen, but it is going to take, you know, that that's bold. You know, as we talked about, you know, the new things in the industry, like articulated haulers or directional drills and directional drills are maybe one of the newest things and they're what, 20, 30 years old now. Um, it takes a really long time uh, in, in this industry for things to really take hold. Maybe. I mean, Sorry. Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead, Peter. You know, one of the interesting things to me is to look at it maybe slightly in a different in a different way. Okay, so I was on a house building site earlier. The 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 gentleman concerned had a brand new Liebherr nine twenty. He's got a tilt rotator with Encon. He's got seventeen buckets and six other attachments. Uh, he's got Leica Geo Systems three D machine control with Copilot for that, and with the GPS models coming in from the thing. However. The site was building houses. So could we see, gentlemen, something which is a little bit more sophisticated for application? So if you are road building, is this new model going to be able uh, to do things differently? So let me just go back to house building. It is a bit simpler. So in house building, we're digging a hole. We're doing utilities. We're pouring in concrete for foundations, and then we're building brick walls. Can we have one machine that can do that, but just literally has different attachments? Uh, that's got the concrete pump attachment. That's got the bricklaying robot attachment. That's got uh, the digging attachment. You know, that is a application-based machine or concept or plug-in thing where you've got a powerhouse in the middle that then plugs in these attachments and the attachment is a uh, a robotic um or uh wall builder that's 3d printing you know what i mean it's it's kind of can we take it beyond tradition i i actually i would argue we actually go the opposite direction environment (laughs) in that you know so uh, so to a little context there i I think that, and it's been written about in other places, you see a trend towards industrialization of the construction processes. So I, I, I don't want to say prefabrication, but factory built componentry. And, 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 that, and then with that, you drive scale. Because to do build a factory, you need scale. All the usual production efficiencies are there. With that scale is probably going to come specialization of the people doing or the contractors. 
with that specialization, they're actually going to want more specialized, more perfect machine to do that rather than the jack of all trades machine that maybe, yes, it can do everything, but it doesn't do anything really well. And it's like a backhoe, right? A backhoe is really helpful, but it's not a great loader and it's not a great excavator. So if we're building those houses and we're fabricating 20,000 houses that got set dimensions, literally we just need a, an automated machine that follows 3D guidance of where everything needs to be, digs the trenches to the perfect two-meter depth because that fabricated house has a two-meter you know, foundation element to it that just slots in, therefore completely non uh, you know, nobody else on site bar somebody securing the gates, for example, in that context. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Good. Yes, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yep. I, 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 I agree. But just, just a quick one on the I mean, we also seen if we talk the commercial piece of it, and to come back to to both of your points. I mean, what, what Alan also said just here now is that we see rent rental is growing, rental business is growing with the with the the the, the even more sharp specification. We have BIM, obviously. I mean, coming from from our industry. I mean, more special, specializing exactly how the how the how the house product as an example should be built. Like you would have done a standardized rental business. I mean, saying this is the type I want to do, and then most likely you say this specific task being done for let's say costing whatever this piece of product will have these these products, and they probably not be rental equipment. There will be companies really focusing on this thing. But on this case here, to back to your point, Pete, you would probably have a large scale then. Uh, or the product being handled by machines that can handle a, lot, a, a large piece of, of the work, basically. Yeah. 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 So. It's interesting. We, we, we reported on a, a recent launch that Bobcat um, held with some of their equipment. Um, you know, they're, they're doing a lot with um, app technology, and, and you can actually set the, the machine yeah. for a specific purpose using an app. Um, you know, that, that's not hardware. Obviously, that, that is a software thing, but that, that does feel like the way that we're headed. And also, Mark, I do, sorry to interrupt there again. Sure. I just want to add the point to that. We've seen Caterpillar launch their remote control station for construction at ConExpo. We've seen Cabelco the, with a remote control scenario as well. So when we get yeah. those remote control elements, gentlemen, maybe that will be the time to take off the cab in some sections uh, and, and maybe, you know, in some simpler projects, it is that rework that comes because you've got that stuff. I, I take your point, Alan, earlier, though, um, about infrastructure, some of the biggest problems with uh, greenfield sites is they don't have the 5G connectivity or the elements that are, that were required to do that. But you can put that infrastructure in as part mm -hmm. of it. But you know that maybe that road to a to remote uh, operation, which is semi automated automated journey to full automation, what that might be able to 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 make some changes. What do you think? Um, should we take Mark's uh, piece first? Uh, I want to come, I, if, if I may. I mean, and and because Bobcat's been one one. I mean, I think we looked into as well, and, and they are now. I shouldn't say the front runners, but a very good example of what we call feature as a service. To your point, Mark. I mean, basically saying I don't I don't want to get all the options. I don't. I'm not willing to pay. Let's say for all the options, but I, I'm happy to subscribe because I'm I'm heading for this project. I mean, for two months, and I need this. You know the function hydraulic whatever and then I'm, I'm paying for it and they're clearly making the way i think what we've seen jointly here in, in work with them is that the commercial model of this has to has to tie with the way uh, you know the whole product, product development and r d process is, is connected and i think now i'm going to hand over to alan 
<laughs> but just to mention that, make a comment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think to uh, to pick up on that I, and, and maybe make a point, kind of tying a few of these things we've been talking about together. I mean, that re-architected product that's really redesigned from the ground up, even if it still looks like an excavator or a wheel water or something like that, that is more electrified. Uh, also has substantially more software control over its functionality, which enables some of that feature as a service kind of thing. And it really requires a lot of changes, but it's still doing physical work. And there's certain things that you cannot software change, like say the width of the tracks on the excavator or the dozer. That's application specific needs there uh, and still mechanical componentry. So. So back again to this point of specialized machines maybe becoming more important, uh, the, that physical piece is going to still be a factor. Um, and maybe Peter, to pick up on your teleoperation uh, uh, point, I think uh, in general, moving towards autonomy is gonna come from uh, incremental advances rather than this big leap where all of a sudden we have a completely autonomous machine with, with respect to those that are trying to do that. Uh, I, I recognize that, but uh, it is a little difficult uh, to get the market to accept that big change. Uh, I think the teleoperation, yes, you could pull the cab off, but I think you're limited in the applications where that's gonna work great. Because if you spend time operating a machine, you know that that seat feel is sometimes part of the equation in knowing how well the machine's working and, and being efficient. When you teleoperate it, you're still trying to control all the operations manually, but you're not in the machine. I actually think it's quite a bit more difficult to operate. Um, can, I, can I come back also on, on the cab discussion, guys? I was just reflecting. Um, I think, I mean, we spoke about um, autonomy and, 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 and I mean, when it's coming in, when we would have you know, driverless operators, I think also we think that there's still so much to utilize and gain from connectivity. So that will still be, uh, I think, a focus. But also, I mean, when it comes to the job sites, I mean, Mark, you're working I mean, very much about demolition. I mean, I think safety, I mean, how, how to be even better on safety will, will be still a focus. But obviously, connectivity is going to come. I think there's more to do here with, with, uh, with, with the, in, this, in these areas also. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I think then that's the disruptor element in the space where I think there's a real opportunity for somebody to come in with a, a highly capable cabless uh, product mm. specific for application. And maybe that is, you know, uh, the likes of, uh, of of more complex applications like underground applications. <laughs> I would say more uh, that we've got, you mentioned it quite a bit earlier, folks, the about the actual low emission zone. So in Birmingham, uh, we have another low emission zone opening up in June. So it's just weeks away. And so, you know, you've got to have those kind of elements that come into play there as well. But, you know, I think <clears throat> I think that sort of journey to autonomy, I think that remote control, I think the fact that then you can have 24-hour working because you can shift works on remote control, as long as you've got the right lighting and support on site, you know, you can do that anywhere in the world and, and have a team of people in Australia taking over from you at, 
at, at a different time so that you can deliver um, within the constraints of noise and sound in localized positions. You can deliver projects better and more efficiently in that context of having still the people controlling the plant um, and and you know even with you know, where you said you know talking about how it feels well you know the 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 more advanced um, machines that are going to be remote controlled do actually have that feel uh, capability and so does the the cat workstation for example I've sat in it and when you're going over the bumps and the rocks and all of it you can feel it as well that's exactly what they were saying you know you got to feel the actual job site which I think is really important guys so yeah. I think there's another point, and, and it's it's something that Peter and I have touched on quite a lot, is is telematics. And we've, we've touched on it, by and large, from an end-user perspective. And, and I'm, what I'm about to say, I say this with a great res respect to those people that do design machines. But machines have, have traditionally been designed from an ivory tower perspective. You know, somebody sat at a drawing board, you know, very remote from the work site and that kind of thing. The sort of data that is being poured back to the manufacturers through telematics now there is a better more deep more rounded understanding of what a machine actually does by the second for every hour that it's working yeah. and, and i personally i think that's going to probably be as big an influence on the way that machines are designed and and the way that they are actually operated as, as electrification and the use of hydrogen as, hydrogen as well hmm. Yeah, and Mark, the way in which they're optimised. You mentioned earlier uh, about the Bobcat optimization, uh, and you know I'm going to subscribe to extra power, extra hydraulic power, or extra digging uh, sort of power, or or you know other functions that are there. Um, and I think that reflects application and how that you design for application, and also how that you ramp up capability or ramp down capability eco mode as such that people call it but that's a whole different thing altogether that is then controlled and and even restrictions put in place whether they be gps uh located restrictions where slew and height and all the rest of that sort of stuff but also restrictions on you know how much a specific person or remote operator can put into machine and how fast they can go to to make sure that that you know is, is not uh, creating a problem yeah Clearly, um, yeah. <laughs> should, you, should you go or should I go? <laughs> oh, guys. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about the impact yeah. on, on the design of the of the product. Yeah, you know, this is one of these things that uh, whenever you get a consultant study on the value generated by telematics, one of the biggest spots always is in product development, and, and it's been that way for quite a while. And then the OEMs have really struggled to deliver on that because it turns out to be fairly complicated to go from this big stream of data into understanding what the machine was doing, uh, you know, getting the full context of what it is so that you can actually turn that into data that's used in the design process. But I, I think it's actually a, a real, a big point of focus right now at a lot of OEMs of how do we take this data and really take advantage of it? Uh, I think, with uh, advances in, in data science, there's definitely a movement towards being able to figure out how to really take advantage of this. And to your point, it will help uh, design, will help optimization at least, uh, and maybe reduce the number of surprises because you, you 
Be surprised uh, how often uh, an OEM discovers a way a machine's being used uh, that they didn't know about. And, and it'll certainly help inform that and help further optimize uh, designs of machines. And then maybe, like you said, maybe it, it helps uh, create some new features as well. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I've been speaking recently to uh, a couple of manufacturers, one in compaction equipment and one in the site dumper um, environment and they have been genuinely stunned you know, you know now they have access to uh, telematics and the, the bit that stunned them the most is just the sheer amount of idling that their machines do you know particularly site dumpers you know it, it does five minutes work and then it sits there on tick over for two hours exactly. <laughs> but but you don't know that until somebody's actually you know big brother is actually watching it yeah and of course i should say you know all oems have done some level of data collection for a long time in, in, as part of the product development cycle, but then it is a very limited number of machines and they're very heavily instrumented and they know exactly what the application is. They often, there's an engineer often watching it. Um, so this transformation here actually is to gather mass data on most of the fleet. And then you find things like that that I would have thought they would have known actually in that I case. Think, and I mean, building, building on that, I think, I mean, Alan said that data, data scientists, I think uh, you said it. I mean, I think the OEMs that invested in terms of, of competence of having guys being means data scientists. I mean, they, 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 they will be ahead of the game because they know how to package the data, how to extract the data. So it's easy to access it. Uh, and, and then, you, you know, you gain, you gain the exact information. You know? And I think where we start, I mean, the whole transparency that you have the, the OEM, you have a dealer, you have a customer, they, they can talk seamlessly these days. So it's, it's very good what's coming. One of the things that we've touched on in the past, Peter, and, and again, sticking with the telematics theme, is the way that telematics could potentially change the rental business. So a rental fleet operator could actually monitor or, or could actually charge by the hour actually worked rather than charging for a week-long rental and all that kind of thing. But personally, I, I, the, the one that really interests me is how telematics and you know, fault diagnosis and remote fault diagnosis will Im impact upon equipment dealers. Could you envisage a time when equipment is, is literally sold direct? So Caterpillar cuts out the middleman, sells direct to a, a, an end user, and somebody at what is now a dealer level just sits there and monitors computers and dispatches parts and, and occasionally arrives with a, with a bag of spanners as well? I think... I can start. I, th I think we're seeing it already, Mark, uh, in, 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 in different businesses. I don't think you will, it will, it will cut, uh, let's say, the deal out totally, but, but the role play will change, to, to come back to your point. I think the, cl the, clear, the, clear, uh, the most clear example is, is the selling process, where, you know, if I talk to the generation of the millenn millennials, they, they don't use the phone like we used to do, for example. They, they, they know, they, they, I mean, they find the data, they, they look for, for what they want to buy, they have a clear idea of, of, of what, what to purchase. So the whole sales process is totally different, which means that the amount of time and resources that, that the OM alongside with the dealer can spend on actually supporting the customer and, and how, his how his machine is operating will increase. And, and um, you see this, I mean, I think that the clearest example, I mean, in the neighboring business is the car industry, where you see, I mean, some manufacturers have, you know, they, they have their, their private lease and you, you do the deal with the, with the, with the OEM. And then literally they... They utilize the, the, the partner for, for, let's say, purchase services from him or her. So it's coming, but I don't think you will totally cut them out, but you, you will have a much more direct communication and access. I mean, it, it, would, it would probably go both ways, that you will have an engineer working on a project and, and says, I want to, let's say, uh, 
do a survey on, on, on compact equipment and he wants to talk to, let's say, or get data from 50 customers in a market. And that could probably be, I mean, he can access them right, right, right away, given he's following all the data. So you, you, this, this is happening, just to acknowledge your point. But, but then I think, there are? Say, say again? I, I said anything to add, Alan, or, or were you still speaking, Carl Gustav? No, no, thanks. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I think Carl Gustav Roy captured it pretty well there. Okay, look, guys, we are getting dangerously close to the hour mark, and I, I'm sure you've got... Just done it. <laughs> but um, but I, I was only here for about 50 minutes of it, so I, I'm doing okay. But we, we are we are getting close to the end. And, and um, the starting point of this conversation was, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the real reason that we got it together was this mention of the word, word Tesla. Tesla has come literally out of left field and has turned the automotive sector on its head. Are we going to see an outsider coming into the construction equipment sector and doing the same thing? I'll start there. I, mean, I, I think uh, it's possible. The OEMs have actually some real natural advantages here. As we talked earlier in terms of product knowledge, access to the supply base, uh, and, and the momentum in the, in the industry. So they... They could keep it from happening, but if they don't move fast enough, uh, it's not that hard. You know, we just talked about you don't necessarily need the dealers the way they are structured today. And we didn't talk about it, but you could stand up a supply spare parts network through Amazon. They offer it. So it is possible that a, that a disruptor could come. I think it's really about uh, how quickly the OEMs will move from here. Well, going back, to the, going back to the automotive sector, they didn't move quickly enough, did they? No. Oh, clearly. I mean, maybe, Tad, I mean, given, I mean, we got, I mean, we, 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 we did this article, as you know, uh, Mark and, and Peter, and we, we get a lot of, lot of questions, a lot of interest of it, basically. So we, are, we, are, we must be up to something, uh, or I mean, the industry must be up, up, up to something. And, and, and we just touch upon the distribution piece, and, you know, it's, not, it's happening in all areas. Well, where things will change. So I'm personally convinced you'll see it happening. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that I think the change is coming. I think we have a, a, a massive, massive problem in this industry that people don't want to come into it. We can't get young people to come into the industry. It's not, uh, and it amazes me because everywhere you go is unique. You're building a road, it's unique. It's in a unique landscape, unique ge ge geography, unique geo issues underneath the ground and everything like that and and fundamentally you can't get people that want to come into the industry so unless we automate unless we change unless we do things differently unless we bring in technologies that are exciting and and, and we we make it a really really good place to be and a place where you can have a career uh, and longevity then you're literally going to have these huge problems stopping um, us creating the futures and the future building structures and everything that, that we have to as an industry or stopping what we need to do, which is stopping climate change and therefore reducing carbon emissions and doing things sensibly. You know, we can do some things through mandating. We can do some things through, uh, you know, the, the one step, two step, three step, five step, stage five step, et cetera, and beyond. But unless we have this whole disruptor, this whole excitement, this whole Tesla thing with our industry, 
I think we're desperate for it. We we will not have uh, the the longevity of of change that we need and and the impact of change that we need. And I think uh, we're we're now talking with two very clever people, Mark, uh, here today. Thank goodness we had this opportunity where people went on from the pandemic and decided to come online and talk live to people like us because that if that really makes people think and it's only going to be a trigger in someone's mind that's actually going to make change happen so you know, we have to do it i believe it's going to be done but it takes some clever guys like these two gentlemen here to to make sure that the knowledge that we've got from all the industry uh, and everything can actually be put into some really clever enthusiastic younger people as well that that can go why don't you do it like this Oh, never thought of it. I actually titled this show "Where Are the Disruptors?" They're here. They're just just below me here, um, guys. Look, we we have ticked past the hour, um, and yeah. I'm going to ask you one final question before I let you get back to the, the day job, and I'm going to include you in this one, Peter. Oh no, Mark! No. Yeah. That's if, one. if we look, let's say, ten or twenty years ahead in the construction equipment world. What are your personal predictions for the most significant changes we're going to see? And I'm going to start with Alan. Um, I think actually you'll see the biggest changes are going to be in how equipment is purchased and uh, how that whole commercial model runs. I think that's the most clear change whether we see completely different machine types, you know, I, I think like we've been saying, the potential is really there. It, the question is, is the inertia in the industry so high that, that we don't, it doesn't actually happen? Still, still remains to be seen. Carl Gustav. So that answer is now taken. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. What is it? I feel <laughs> but I, but I, I, I have to agree with my colleague on this one because uh, I think I mean we clearly see it happening. So I mean I, I cannot avoid that subject. It's going to happen. Um, then you will have so. But if you allow me to have a, a, a wider answer, Mark, if it's okay with you, I, I also think that we, we, I mean, we if we talk market sizes and 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 stuff like that, like that there will be a shift on. I mean, uh, on on where 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 are the large markets. We see in China, obviously, China is a large market, but there, there's there's other markets coming up. So the whole shift of focus of the, let's say the whole shift of where, you know, the business is going to be, where the, let's say the technological uh, headquarters will, will, will be, will also change. I mean, Tunisia will be in a certain possible, and that can also change. Just that. But I, I do agree with what Alan said. Peter. Oh, I'm going to be super bold, Mark. I'm going to say that machine control will be mandated uh, beyond the developed countries. We will have a real focus on fuel so much so that we'll actually accelerate change dramatically when it comes to fuel consumption we will have hvo fuels that come in and almost dominate where diesel used to be we'll have exoskeletons where people will be on site doing jobs uh, which require extra power and strength and they might have an exoskeleton little mini dig arm mark and we're going to have cabless uh, machines. We're going to have the ants on site, I believe, um, and we're going to have all of that uh, being actually driven by governments, driven by large projects, driven by decarbonisation, and driven by people that want a better world, a more sustainable environment, 
and actually want to embrace technology. And therefore, if we're going to get them into the industry, we have to deliver that to them. And that's what I want to see. Might be 20 years down, Mark, but that's what I want to see. Uh, well, I, from my personal perspective, I wouldn't argue with any of those points, um, but I do think that we will see, uh, from my point of view, I think we will see a totally new breed of construction machine, and I would hazard a guess to say that it will originate in China. Mm-hmm. So it, so if, you're, if anyone's watching this on YouTube, assuming it still exists in 20 years' time, and that proves to be correct, you heard it here first. Okay, <laughs> gentlemen, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. It's it's been a real eye opener, but it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Uh, I really do appreciate you giving up your time uh, to share your your knowledge and your insight. Um, are there any fin- final points that you would like to share? Is there anywhere that people need to go and find your research work or anything else you'd like to say? Uh, we encourage you to go look. Uh, we've published in uh, a number of the journals, uh, IVT and uh, KHL's journals. So you can certainly uh, get uh, a more concise uh, version of our argument as to how how the industry is changing there. I will post a link to that in the uh, show notes for today's today's show as well, mm-hmm. just to make that nice and easy for people. Uh, Carl Gustav, anything else you'd like to add? No, I, I enjoy this a lot. I mean, it's been great. I mean, spending an hour with you guys and talk around. And I mean, we're certainly, I mean, we're, we're there for you. And, and uh, we, we we can do it again at any time. Thank you very Fantastic. much. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. That's what I want to hear, because I, I'm just going to basically say to you that Mark wouldn't have said to you before you come on the lives that when you do come on the lives, it means that we can contact you at any time to come back again. <laughs> and uh, that uh, has been part of the nondescript contract of this conversation, <laughs> gentlemen. Because basically, we need people like you to sound by off because, you know, we're the people that are reporting in the industry, but we need people and access to to people like yourself um, and others that you'll deal with uh, to start talking about this conversation wider. So thank you so much for spending your time with me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I'll let you get back to your day jobs. All right. We'll probably be doing it again then. Thanks a lot. Thank you. For the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Aside from the fact that I, I, aside from the fact that I, I now want to go and find the electrician that turned off the power to the modem, um, <laughs> or the router, should I say, and, and give him a damn good thrashing, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought that was yeah. really insightful. You know what, Mark? It, you know, it's very rare that you get the chance to speak to two people that have actually been in this industry for some time and believe it needs to change more yeah. rapidly. You know, we always expect younger people that have got that energy and drive to come in and go, come on, come on, come on. But it's like, look, having people uh, like both of Carl and, and basically, you know, it's great, isn't it? You know, and I think I think that, that they are absolutely right to be promoting this sort of whole disruptor stuff because at the end of the day, change has to happen. But it's only change will happen when you've got clever people that are willing to push the boundaries and help others do so. And and as we've as we've said before, now is the perfect time. Um, it is the electrification that, that opened the door for Tesla. We've got exactly the same set of circumstances. It just takes take somebody with, as you rightly said, the finance and the will. Um, and yeah, somebody could come along and turn it on its head. I, I, 
in some ways, I'd, I'd love to see it. I, I really would love to see it. In other ways, I'd, I'd quite like some of the existing players to to really sort of step up and take that that big next step. And, and when you look at some of the stuff we've mentioned, Volvo, we've mentioned Bobcat, we've mentioned JCB. You know, some of the some of the stuff that these guys are up to, you know, maybe it might turn out to be one of them. You never know. No, you don't know, Mark. And you know, like I say, it's a global industry. There's there's talent all over the place. And you know where it's going to come. Where does it come from? It comes from the businesses that have really making the bold decisions and they've probably already made them five years ago in in their planning at least. But, you know, Alan and Carl have been amongst all of that um, development and, you know, realistically, it's only going to accelerate. And now we've brought these two clever people together. So can other people using this technology that people are used to to work together in Teams or Zooms or uh, Streamyards in this case. Uh, <laughs> fundamentally, that's where what I want to see, and that's what I want to really do: do more shows like this and talk to clever people that can really inspire us and ask them the questions like we have today that actually matter uh, and, and the things I'm interested in. Yeah, it, somebody I, I saw a quote recently: uh, "Show me your um, the people you hang out with, and I'll show you your future." So I get to hang out with smart people. And occasionally you, and, <laughs> and 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 there you are. That maps my future, and I'm quite happy with that. So that's fantastic. With Mark, great show. Thanks very much for everybody that's listened, and hopefully we get a lot more people listening uh, uh, to that after the show as well, because I know people are digging right now, Mark. Absolutely. Well, we'll be posting this over on uh, IGTV where we get the big numbers uh, as soon as the show has ended. But Peter, thanks for uh, for, for turning up. Thanks for keeping the, the ship afloat while. The electrician was pressing the wrong button. Of all the things, he literally pressed the wrong button. I can't believe that. Thank you very much. It's all good. And um, take care of yourself. Until the next time, my friend. Ta-ta from me. I'll speak to you soon. And there you are. That's another show in the can, as they say. Uh, I'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. for the usual breakfast show. Uh, it's about time I did another Instagram Live, but I'll be planning that over the next few days. But in the meantime, thanks ever so much for turning up. Um, as I say, we, we will post links to the article um, that Alan mentioned earlier uh, in the show notes um, just as soon as this is over and done with. But until then, have a great day. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Look after yourself, your family, your friends, and your colleagues. And I will see you all again very, very soon. All the best.